Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Anna LeBaron, who we met last week, and she was sharing with us her powerful story about living in a religious cult, a polygamist family, and there was so much that she shared with us about her story. So if you have not listened to that episode, I just want to encourage you to go back so you can understand where we're going to pick up from today. Today, you're going to hear the part, the redemption part, the fully restored part of what God has been doing in Anna's life. So Anna, welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Thank you, Kristen. I hope that your listeners will go back and listen to the first part because a lot of what we'll talk about today won't make a lot of sense unless they have the background to it. Yes, absolutely. So I want us just to dive right in. So last week you shared with us about the growing up and and really we kind of left off at your mom and some of your siblings went back to Denver, you stayed, you were 13 years old, you had ran away and stayed there in Houston, right? Houston. Mm-hmm. And went to, um, that was your 5k to freedom walk where you left your, uh, you were told to leave. And so you did. And the family you lived with, you went to a Christian school, which was against really the belief of the fundamentalist uh, religion, Mormons. And then that's where we left off. So I want you just to pick up and tell us about your fully restored story. Well, that was going to live with my sister, my half sister, Lillian, and her husband, Mark, was the beginning of my restoration. I tell people, you don't have to be born and raised in a religious cult like I was to experience abuse, neglect, abandonment and trauma. Those things happen in two-parent homes or single-parent homes or every kind of variety of home you can imagine. Could you say that list again? Because I want people to grasp that, what you just said. I grew up experiencing childhood trauma, abuse, neglect, and abandonment. And when I talk about abuse, it's not just the abuse that you might be imagining, physical abuse. I experienced emotional abuse physical, spiritual, psychological. Some of those are called the hidden abuses because they don't leave marks and scars on the body. Those marks and scars are left on the soul and the spirit. And those require just as much healing and time as the physical wounds do, sometimes more. Yeah, I call those soul wounds is what I call those, that those are the soul wounds that happen to us. And we focus on the physical aspect, but we don't focus on the soul wounds and we actually try to hide them and 
bury them deep inside of us and go on with our lives. Part of that going on with your life and burying is just a coping mechanism. And one of the things that I think most people that aren't professionals in the healing ministries and healing, you know, professions, most people, just general lay people don't understand is that those coping mechanisms are what help you stay alive and stay put together until you can grow and mature enough to finally address those things. And it's possible to get counseling and therapy and all that when you're a child and going through things. And I believe that it's absolutely essential if it's possible, but I didn't get any of that as a child or a teenager. It was once I was a grown adult that I started going to counseling. And one of the things I just want to kind of put in here real quick, because I am a a therapist and trauma and abuse is my area of specialty, is that at your developmental stages, so if, say, you experienced trauma and abuse from five to seven years old, and you go to counseling, at your next developmental stage, because there's different stages of developmenting that we go through, stuff comes up. And so people will say, I've already dealt with this. Why is this coming up? Right. But it's because you only dealt with to what you were emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically able to do so. At that point, the next developmental stage, more stuff comes up. And so it is common. So you don't want to wait and just, well, fine, I'll wait till I'm an adult. Or I'll wait till my child is an adult. You want to get the counseling as soon as you can, but just recognize it's not a quick fix, especially trauma and abuse, because it gets so into the core of who we are and distorts our view of ourself and shame and and guilt and, and chaotic emotions, anxiety, depression, all these things are going on with us. And so just recognizing, hey, you know, I went to counseling as a teenager and I'm 25. Why am I upset now? Well, it's because you're at a different developmental stage and you're able to go to the next level of healing. And I think what I experienced could be described as complex trauma. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Compounded at every stage of my development compounded and it got worse and worse and worse things yeah. happened. And, you know, in the book that I wrote, I talk about all the, all the things that happened, which would take three hours of talking here, which we don't have time for. So I'm not going to go into it all, but the, the level and the, the depth of the trauma that I experienced didn't stop when I ran away from home. It was different. I went through depression and then I went through what I call clinical depression, even at a later stage. And Mark was killed, leaving the cult. And then seven months after that happened, his wife, Lillian, my half-sister, took her life. And I was at that age, 19, 19 and then 20, when those two events happened. And that was the straw. That was the straw for me that broke the camel's back, the proverbial straw. And I went into a clinical depression after losing my sister. How long did that last for? Months and months and months. Mm -hmm. I knew after, I knew something wasn't right. Because if you met me today, I'm a very outgoing, extroverted, loud, fun. (laughs) You know, the more people at the party, the better, you know. 
I knew that there was a problem when I started sleeping probably 15 to 20 hours a day. I could not stay awake to save my life. I was sleeping to save my life, I think. And I started not going to all the things that I had enjoyed doing before. I was in college at the time and I just started skipping everything. Didn't want to go be with my friends. Didn't want to do anything. I eventually had to leave the dorm room because I was not in a good state. So I went to live with a family and I was sleeping in their house, you know, 20 hours a day. It was difficult, difficult time. And I had a friend, the whole college had planned to go to this Sandy Patty concert. This is, you can tell I'm, you know, in the eighties, huh? And we were going to go to a Sandy Patty concert in the prior year. I had organized the whole thing for a bunch of us to go to Sandy, see Sandy Patty. She was one of my favorites, along with Amy Grant, of course. And this time the whole college was going to go see Sandy Patty. And I said, you know, I don't want to go. And I had a ticket, but I didn't, I wasn't planning to go. And I'm living with this family off campus and a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine came to the house. And I was already in my pajamas and it's five o'clock in the afternoon and it's time to go. And she's knocking on my door and I'm alone in the house and I'm in my pajamas in bed and I'm ignoring the knock because I don't know who it is. and I'm not interested in talking to somebody. Well, she knocked and knocked and knocked until finally I was like, these people, whoever they are, aren't going to go away. So I better go see. And so I get up and I go to the door and my friend is there and she's like, Hey, today's the Sandy Patty concert. Get dressed, let's go. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not gonna go. And she says, No, 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 you're coming. Like she knew I was in trouble, you know. She's like, No, you're coming. So get dressed, let's go. And I was like, No, no, I don't really want to go. And I'm already ready for bed. And I don't want to go to. I don't want to go. She was like, No, you're coming. You're coming. Get dressed, or you're going in pajamas. And I'm like, No, you go ahead. I don't want to ruin it for people. I don't feel like it. I'm not gonna enjoy it. She's like, you're coming, get dressed. And at some point I just realized I wasn't going to win. And so I went and got dressed and, you know, the little college that we went to didn't allow girls to wear slacks or pants. Many of us had a pair of jeans that we had hidden, you know, and she's like, oh, and grab your pair of jeans. Cause after the concert, we're going to West end, which was forbidden, you know? <laughs> so I grabbed my jeans. Like I was told, got dressed probably didn't even put any makeup on and just went to the Sandy Patty concert. I don't remember very much about it. But what happened that night is after we were leaving, because I had my jeans in the back seat of the car, you know, we were leaving and going through that little, you know, how after a concert, you have, everybody's leaving at once. So it takes an hour to get out of the parking lot. So yeah. we're in the back seat of the car, me and her, and we've already started changing clothes into our forbidden jeans so that we could go to West End. You can see how good of a girl I was, you know? <laughs> so we're changing clothes in the back of the car. And in my mind, because we're so modest and taught modesty so much, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what are the people in the back behind us, driving behind us going to think if they see us, you know, over here with clothes flying and arms and legs, you know, everywhere. And that idea made me cackle, made me laugh out loud. And we were all just, laughing and changing and the idea of being caught, you know, without clothes on or whatever, I laughed and I, I felt that a little adrenaline rush because you're doing something you're not supposed to, you know? And for the first time since my sister passed, 
I thought, oh my gosh, I can actually feel something. I might be happy again in my life because after losing her, I basically flatlined emotionally. I knew in my mind, because I'm, you know, in my 19, 20 year old wisdom, in my mind, I had convinced myself and I believed that I would never feel happiness again. And I accepted it. I just thought, okay, this is how life is going to feel from now on. And then that night when I laughed and things were a little bit exciting because we were breaking all the rules, I thought for the first time, I went, oh my gosh, I can feel something. And that just, that was like the beginning of healing from that deep, deep depression that I'd fallen to. You know, as you were talking, I was just thinking of because there wasn't a sense of safety and security, your sister, your half-sister and Mark, they represented that to you. They represented stability and safety to you in the midst of the chaotic, unhealthy life that you were living and in the cult that your family was involved in. And so the loss of Mark was one shaking. And then the loss of your sister, that just that despair and that loss of safety and security. So I could see why that shook you to the core because you're young. I mean, you're, you're 19, 20, but you're young and you're trying to, oh, baby. Yeah. 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 And, and then to have persistent friends, which are so important that know when we're in our despair, when we're in our brokenness, that are persistent and I'm going to keep knocking on this door until you answer the door and you're going to go to this concert with us. And really, you know, the truth is people change their clothes at night in a vehicle all the time, but felt like we are, um, we're doing something bad. We're doing something wrong. But at the same time, I feel free. Well, that's because you had such religious restriction on you of everything that you were doing something and, and joy broke loose in you. Yeah. Like in the, in my book, I say sometimes breaking the rules is necessary and we did and, and it was necessary. So that was like how I began that healing from the, the difficulty of losing those two very important people in my life. And, you know, it's like, I, I could have used professional counseling then for sure. And I didn't get it, but I just believe that God was with me and that the Holy Spirit was doing work because professional counseling wasn't available. Like the Holy Spirit, like carried me along and helped me heal enough to begin life a different way in a different mindset and everything. And then I got married, began a family of my own. And the next thing as part of the restoration process was, you know, several children, three children into this marriage. I had three little boys at the time and I'm just moving along and trying to create a life for myself, you know, that's good, but I'm still struggling with the effects of my family of origin. And I ended up going to a wedding for my niece. It was actually Mark and Lillian's daughter. Um, I went to her wedding and some family members that I wasn't expecting came to the wedding, which was a trigger. And I didn't understand about triggers at the time, but it was. And when I left the wedding and went home that night, it was like a six hour drive home with my boys, put them to bed. That night I had this horrible, horrible nightmare. 
And in my nightmare, a family member came to my home where my children and I were, guns a-blazing, shot me, and I fell down. And this is my dream, like my nightmare. I fell down and in my nightmare, thought to myself, if I pretend that I'm dead, they won't shoot me again and I can go find my children, you know? And that's the fear of what you were involved in to see them because you grew up with that. You grew up with if they didn't like somebody, they were taken out. And so that fear was real. It was very real. It was something that other people in my family experienced. They were shot and killed. And that's how Mark was killed. You know, it was just a, that event was a trigger. It triggered the nightmare. So the following day, I had a play date with a friend of mine who also had three little boys. So we're at this playground sitting on the little picnic table and our boys are all playing. And I tell her about this nightmare just because it's haunting me. And, you know, I didn't sleep well. I had this horrible nightmare. And she says, tell me about it, you know, because she's a friend, you know. So I tell her about it. And in my mind, I'm just telling her about my nightmare. Doesn't everybody have these, you know? And she says, well, Anna, at my church, they have lay ministry counseling. If I make you an appointment to go talk to someone, would you go? And I'm confused in my mind thinking, lay ministry counselor, why do I need counseling? You know, what's going on? You know, she said, but if I make you an appointment, will you go? And I said, well, yeah, sure. Like, why not? You know, it's free. So I said, sure. And she goes, do you need me to watch your boys or do you need me to give you a ride to your appointment? Like she meant for me to go talk to a counselor, you know? So I showed up at that appointment and for the first time in my life, sat across from someone and told them the nightmare and my family of origin story. And I don't know this lady's name. I don't even know what church it was in Amarillo, Texas. She probably needs counseling after that, you know, and at the end of that one hour with her, you know, she was very kind. And she says to me, here's a business card for a professional counselor, because the kind of, you know, the kind of counseling you need, I can't provide for you here. She's a lay ministry counselor. And so I made an appointment with this lady from Samaritan Pastoral Counseling. They worked on a sliding scale. So I was able to afford it. Her name was Joy. And I started with Joy Cox in 1995, just as God would have it. You know, she wrote her thesis on cults and she was the one that I got referred to. I worked with her for five years. And when I first sat down with her, one of the first questions she asked me was, you know, tell me about your relationship with your dad. And my answer encompassed the whole scope of my relationship with my dad was one sentence. He was never around and we dealt with it. That was the end. And that, but that was the beginning for me. It was the beginning of what she called peeling back the layers of an onion, one layer at a time, one session at a time. When I began seeing her, I had no access to my emotions. Growing up in a cult, growing up in the kind of family I did. You had to suppress your negative emotions. You weren't allowed to express anything, anger or sadness. You had to just suppress it all. Brene Brown says, you know, you cannot selectively numb your emotions, numb the negative ones, then you're numbing the positive ones too. 
And so that left me with this very little band of safe emotions that I could express that were acceptable, you know? And so unpacking my story with joy in a safe setting, in a safe place, allowed me over time to finally be able to access this emotion that you hear in my voice now, that is now a very healthy expression of grief over the life that I lived as a child and as a teenager. Little by little, the first time I cried at her office, you know, I had to shut it down really fast because it felt so, I felt like I was going to come unglued. It probably felt scary. Yeah. If I allowed yeah. that emotion and to cry, I thought if I start crying, I'll never stop. You'll never stop. Yeah. It and, felt so overwhelming to me. Yeah. And one of the things I often tell people is our emotions in that setting are like a big rubber band ball and they're all connected together and all blended together. So if we feel it's like, oh no, we're going to feel it all and we can't, it's too overwhelming. And so we shut it down or we react in anger or both because anger is the easiest emotion to express. I didn't have anger as a tool (laughs) at that point. I just had to shut it down and suppress. Yeah. And it took me several years of seeing her and each time she would like unlock another layer, remove another layer of that onion. And I would cry more or access more of my emotion I would find reasons to cancel my next appointment or two. (laughs) I would find reasons not to go and, you know, whatever. Well, and that's because you're processing, like it's just so overwhelming. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so finally I would go back and, you know, we would do some more work and years into it, you know, about the five-year mark, I finally peeled back what I thought was the last layer and got to the core of that beef, when I finally reached that, it did feel like once I started allowing myself to just sob uncontrollably about the losses that we had, not just the losses of the people that I loved, cared about, but the losses of what should have been and wasn't. You know, I should have had a dad. I should have had a mom who cared and protected us. And, per, and a dad who provided for us, I should have had those things and didn't. And I had to grieve not just the loss of the people, but the things that should have been. And that was just completely overwhelming. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed my eyes out. It was gut-wrenching. I would leave her office and my abdominal muscles would hurt for days. Well, and what you're bringing up, though, is so important is that some of the the deep things we go through in our life, they don't get healed just real quick. You know, we all want this quick fix. I'll go to the altar and pray and I'm healed. But that doesn't always happen because the layers, because of how it affects us and all the aspects of the whole person and the ways that it affects us. And so it, it is a journey of healing and restoration. That's, I, I often talk to people about that. This is a journey of healing and restoration. And bit by bit, you're getting stronger. Bit by bit, you're going through things. And here you are. You've been doing this for five years. You're, you're processing through your grief and everything. And now, how many years later, where you're at, but recognizing that 
you know, going and getting help is really important. Being ready that, okay, I'm going to do the work and it's not going to happen in a short amount of time. And my counselor, Joy, said it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and recognizing, because as you start to deal with stuff, triggers happen. And so often what I do with people in counseling is I make sure before we get into their trauma stories, Hey, let's figure out your coping skills. When anxiety happens, you know, what do you do when you feel depressed, when you get triggered, you know, giving them some tools so that when memories happen, that they're able to to get grounded and cope. I've worked with many individuals that in the middle of the session, they're like at their, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most feeling out of control or triggered and, and just helping them get back down. I, I never let somebody leave at a 10. I always get them back down because that's a disservice. I want people to learn this is what you do to calm yourself. This is what you do that your past does not control your present and your future. So here are the tools that you can take back your present and your future. Yes, you're going to have these trigger memories, these trigger things that you're working through, but here's some tools so that when it happens, I always say that they hijack us and take us places we don't want to go, but we don't have to let them hijack us. We can say, no, let's take this back. And so I'm really appreciative of you talking about that counseling experience. So with your life experience, where God has brought you today, because literally, Anna, we could talk for probably hours and hours, like you mentioned. What are two or three things that you can share with our listeners as they're beginning their journey of healing? Their stories may not be your story. But they have, you mentioned, stories of trauma, of abuse, of neglect and abandonment. What are some things you can share with them? I would say the most important one is to just start by telling your story to somebody, as Brene Brown says, who has earned the right to hear your story. Safe people. And if you don't know who safe people are, there's a book called Safe People that will help you learn who the right people are. So tell your story, externalize it, especially if it's something that happened that you've never told anyone. Even if there's nobody that you consider safe, journaling your story can be a really good place to start. And it is your story. It's for your eyes only, that journal entry, your eyes only. You can name names and say what happened. And then that's not for public consumption. Later, if you want to rewrite it and change the names, you know, (laughs) then you can do that too. But the first time you name the names and you say what happened, externalizing it is really important, whether it's to a person or in written form somehow. But that's a place to begin. You know, you don't have, even if you don't have access to counseling, I think a lot of people don't realize just how accessible counseling is now. If there's a university close to you that has a counseling, you know, people that are studying to become counselors, they will sit and listen to you. And the most important part of counseling is just being able to tell somebody and to speak the things that happened to somebody who's empathetic and safe. And so universities offer, you know, just very reduced price counseling so that their students can practice. So if that's the way you need to go, but a lot of insurance, if you have insurance, Sometimes that 
covers professional counseling too. And people just think it's for medical stuff. Sometimes it's for the kind of counseling, this kind of counseling. And then again, there's lay ministry counselors at churches and stuff. So find what's available to you and begin taking those steps to externalizing your story in a safe place. The second thing is just knowing that it takes time, that healing is a process. I've been on the healing journey since I was 13 and I ran away from home. That's kind of when it began. God began taking me on this journey that I didn't know I needed to go on. He walked me through until I could go to see a professional counselor. So I ran away from home at 13 in 1982. I started seeing a professional counselor in 1995. And so, you know, a lot of people mistakenly, and even, you know, religious people mistakenly will say, well, just pray more and just read your Bible more. And I say, yes, pray. Yes, read your Bible. But it's Jesus plus therapy is the answer when you've experienced the kinds of things that we're talking about. Jesus plus therapy and make it happen. And other people aren't going to choose this for you. Sometimes it happens that way. I don't wish that on anyone where other people are forced to choose it for you. Choose it for yourself. Choose to do this. Choose to begin. Your willingness to just begin or even to say, God, I'm willing to be made willing. If in your mind you're going, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to open that Pandora's box. If you say, I'm willing to be made willing. God brought me on my journey, has guided me this whole way. And my journey and yours will look very different. But if you open yourself up and you begin that willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to guide, and then you become expectant that the help that you need will come, whether it's a friend who says, oh, my therapist is this person or whatever, however that works out. I believe that each one of you will be guided to the resources that you need. And if you're expectant and looking, you'll find it. You'll find the right resource, the right kind of help for exactly what you need. It won't look like my journey. But it will be the journey of what they're needing. And I love that. I love the words of wisdom that you're sharing there. So in our last minute here that we have, how can people connect with you online and purchase your book? Oh, it's available at your favorite bookseller, whether it's independent or Amazon, um, it's available. It's on Audible as well. If you prefer Audible, I will read you the story because I had to audition to read my own book. So I got to read the Audible edition and it's also on Kindle. You can connect with me at onalabaron.com or on any social media on a K LeBaron. Well, it has been a joy, an honor to have you on my show. Thank you, Anna, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. I would love to stay connected with you. So be sure to find me on Instagram and Facebook page. Um, Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. 
I pray that this episode of the Fully Restored podcast ministered to you, encouraged you, and that, friend, you're walking away with that courage to say, I need to tell my story. I need to not hold this in anymore. Jesus and therapy, it's okay. That is a good way. And that I need to be willing to be willing and be expectant. Those are great words of wisdom of somebody who has experienced great loss and triumphed on the other side. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.